0: Hey, I want to welcome you to uh, FBCO this Sunday morning. We're glad that you're worshiping with us. If you're here for the first time or a guest and you want to find out more about our church, just text to connect. And uh, we'd love for you to get involved with one of our small group Bible studies. We call them life groups. And we'll help you find a class. There are 40-some classes that are meeting by Zoom or some other online medium. And if you'd like to participate in these days, we'd love for you to do it. I know they'd love for you to connect. Uh, Text us or email us. Uh, You can go to our website and we'll help you find a class that will match you during this time and beyond if you'd like. We believe deeply in those small groups and how much they matter. We'll open your Bibles, please, to the book of James chapter 4. We're working our way through the book of James and I'd love for you to have a Bible to follow along with, get a pen, something to write with, and I'm going to ask you to write down some notes as we go, kind of lean in and listen, and let's read in James chapter 4. Let's read beginning with verse 11. Follow along. We'll put it on your screen. The Bible says, Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Well, the Bible talks here about how to use your life well. And I want to talk with you about four ways to use your life well. Here's what the Bible says. We just read these verses. Your life is like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. I mean, that's how life is. just... That's how life is. And so let's talk about how to use your life well, this only life you get in this world before we face eternity. And let's talk about four ways to live your life well. One of the movies that our family watches, sometimes, you know, a family will watch a movie more than once. We've watched this movie several times over the years. It's called Groundhog Day, and it's got Bill Murray in it. Some of you have probably seen that old movie. And it's a guy who lives the same day over and over and over again feels a little bit like that during these days of quarantine, I think for some, but it's just living the same day every day, no matter what he's done, he wakes up to the same day and repeats it. It doesn't matter. Eventually he realizes, man, if he gets in trouble or goes to jail, the next day he starts fresh and new. And so he starts to live for himself, which is of course, how many people in our culture live their lives. What's in it for me? What do I want? What do I get? What do I have? Many people live that way. But eventually, he finds that to be dissatisfying. And he begins to look for something more. And he begins to see that he, ne- he needs to live his life for something more than just what he can get for himself. And that's when life begins to change for him. God in heaven has given you this life, this one life in this world. And he wants you to, to use it well. So let's talk about four ways to live your life well, to really have the kind of life that you want, that God wants you to have and that you want to have deep inside. Let's talk about these four principles together. Let's write these notes. If you have your pen right there with you, write this down first. Build up rather than than tear down. Build up rather than tear down. If you want to live your life well, you're going to have to build up rather than tear down. Notice what the Bible says in verse 11. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Boy, does that sound countercultural? Because our world, our generation is a day of criticism. Um, Our social media is about so often criticizing something you don't like. Politics is about criticizing others. I mean, it's really such a part of our society. And Christians often spill into this. But the Bible says to us in the middle of of a critical spirit culture, the Bible says, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters, family. Don't criticize one another. Anyone who defames, verse 11 says, Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. So we're sinning, not just against someone else, but against God who gave us the law, God who gave us the responsibility. He's the one under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who says to us, don't criticize one another. And so when we do, we're sinning, not just against the person we criticize, but we're sinning against God himself. God wants us to avoid that critical spirit. It's easier to tear down than build up. I've been reading in my quiet time, I just finished recently, Ezra and Nehemiah. And those are two great books of the Bible and they talk about the time when Israel had been judged by God, they were sent off into captivity. And then uh, when they came back, the walls of of Jerusalem had been torn down and they were going to rebuild. In the story of Nehemiah, he rebuilds the walls and begins to work on the temple and all that needs to take place. You know, it didn't take any extra effort To tear down the walls. That's easy. It happens through neglect, through focus on the wrong things, through turning away from God. That's easy. But building up takes some effort. And the Bible is saying here, don't criticize, don't tear down, but build up. God in heaven made us, puts us together, and causes fellowship so we can build each other up. It doesn't take anything to tear down. The world is always tearing down. Sin is always tearing down. Neglect is always tearing down, but God wants us to build up. And so let's talk about how we can build one another up. We can do it in three ways. First, with compassion. With compassion, it's hard to love deeply and criticize deeply at the same time. Have you noticed that? It's hard to do those things at the same time. A critical spirit and a compassionate spirit just don't go together. So when we really have compassion for others, we begin to love them, care about them, and begin to understand them and, and pour into them. And we want to naturally build them up instead of tearing them down. Uh, how often we get this wrong? God wants us to, to, to deeply love, to deeply care. We're brothers and sisters in Christ and he wants us to care deeply. I don't know about you, but sometimes, and I love my wife, I love Vicki. Vicki and I have been married a long time now. We love each other and we're and thick and thin, <laughs> sequestered together, so to speak, in these days and I'm grateful for her. I will find myself sometimes, however, giving her unsolicited advice. Am I the only one who does that? Unsolicited advice, how she could do something differently or better. You know, I'm impatient often. And you know, when I do that, she doesn't always, she doesn't always appreciate it so much, my unsolicited advice, but there is a, I love my wife. And so sometimes when I find myself with a critical spirit, and that's what often happens with what we call unsolicited advice, when I find myself with a critical spirit with her, uh, I don't find that a satisfying part of our relationship, nor does she. And instead, God in heaven convicts me of this because he wants me to build her up. That's one of my responsibilities as her husband. And that's one of the responsibilities we have with other believers to build them up. We'll never be satisfied with the critical spirit. Tearing down happens easily. God made us, puts us together to build up. And God wants to use us to build up. And when we have compassion and genuine love, that is our heart and spirit. You'll know know they are my disciples, Jesus said, by their love, by their love. Compassion matters. And then we build up instead of tearing down with care. One of the great things I love seeing is people caring for others. I've heard some great stories from people at FBCO during this time about caring for our neighbors or someone who's more vulnerable or helping someone with something as simple as groceries or, or using a moment like this to point them to the love of the Lord or to the message of the gospel. I love that. I love that. We ought to care for others. It's one of the ways we build up. The reason the walls of Jerusalem fell was because no one cared. No one cared for those walls and and provided for them. And over time, through neglect, they began to fall apart. God wants us to care. God wants us to serve. You know God made you to serve. You will never be satisfied just to get and just to have and just to receive. You'll never be satisfied with that. You will never be satisfied, Christian, if it's just about you. You will never be satisfied. In fact, that's the sure way to a critical spirit. God in heaven wants you to serve and to give and to care for others. And then we build up instead of tearing down with connection. It's one of the reasons why the Bible says something like this. um, Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters, your family. That's the kind of relationship you need. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer, defames and judges the law. Fellow believer, we're in this together. We're connected it's one of the reasons why I've emphasized so often uh, life groups and how much they matter and how important they are, the value of them, the, the reason God puts us together. I, I know that, that it matters. And these days when we just connect through some social media, I mean, it's better than nothing. I, I, it is. I'm thankful we can do it. One day, of course, face to face. And one of the purposes of the church is to build up brothers and sisters. It's one of the reasons God made the church. And I want you to ask God, God, would you help me to build up? Am I, am I by a critical spirit tearing down or am I building up with my compassion, with my care, with my connection? Am I building up? And God would use and bless and honor that, build up rather than tear down. There's a second principle I want you to, to note about how you can use your life well. And that is to obey rather than judge. Obey rather than judge. Verse 11 says it like this. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? The Bible's reminding us here that God wants us to to do the law. Not ju- we're not the judge. We're the doer of the law. And so we're to... We're to put this into practice. Do you remember back in James chapter one, verse 22? If you have uh, been in our church for a while, when we were preaching through James one, we got to this verse B. The Bible says in James one, 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And I really wanted us to memorize that verse. And so we said it aloud together. Do you remember when, when we could gather together? And we said it out loud together. And we, we just quoted God's word, be doers of the word and not hearers only and it was teaching us, it's not enough for us to know what God says. It's not enough for us to hear what God wants. God wants us to make application and to put into practice the things he teaches us. So we want to learn the word, but not, that's not the end in itself. We learn the word so that we can live the word. We learn the word so that we can live the word. And if we're not living the word, then there is a terrible disconnect in our lives because being a hearer of the word is not enough. Remember that verse, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so let's talk about how we can obey rather than judge, Two, two ways. Number one, focus on personal obedience. The Bible says if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. You're focusing on the wrong thing. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Here's what happened for me. I mean, I was clever as a boy with my brothers. I have three brothers. And sometimes when I was getting in trouble, I would say something like this. Yeah, but what about, and I'd mention one of their names. And listen, they all, you know, troublemakers. I, I hope they're watching as I preach this because they all, they all needed, they deserved all the trouble they got into from our parents. But you know what my, what my parents would do when i tried try to deflect and I'd say, hey, what about what Don or Dave or, Dan did. What What about them? All D's. Isn't that a confusing way to do it? What about what they did? My parents would say something like this. They were clever about this. They'd say, hey, we're not focused on what Dave did or what Don did or what Dan did right now. We're focused on what Doug did right now. And we want you to focus on this. We want you to focus on your behavior and on your obedience and not on someone else. Now, I've just discovered this along the way in my Christian life. I can spend all my time focusing on the problems of others, but you know who the biggest problem for me is? It's me. And God wants me, I can't do much about anyone else. I mean, I can encourage and I can build up and I can pray and I can, but I have a lot, I have a lot to to decide about what I do and my obedience. And God wants me to focus on my personal responsibility. And he's saying, don't, don't you spend your time being the judge for someone else, you put the focus squarely on your own behavior. You look at your own motives, not just the motives of others. You, what about your motives? What about your actions? What about your attitudes? What about your spirit? You make that your focus. You choose to obey. Don't make your focus, what, what about them? What about my brother? What about my sister? What about that person? What about, what about those folk, folks? Instead, God wants me to focus, to take personal responsibility for my life, personal responsibility for my obedience, and to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer, not just a preacher. God wants me to practice what I preach, not just to preach, but to practice it. God wants you to obey, not just to hear, but to do, and to take personal responsibility in obedience. And the second way we obey rather than judge is to remember God's role and our role to remember God's role and your role. The Bible is saying here, verse 12 says, there's one lawgiver and judge. That's not me, by the way. That's the Lord who is able to save and to destroy. God's the judge. God's the judge. He's the one. The Bible says we, he is our judge and we will stand before him one day. Whether we like it or not, whether we want to or not, whether we're going to be happy about it or not, we're going to stand before God. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You will stand before God one day. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I'm not your judge. The culture's not your judge, but the Lord is your judge. He's the righteous, holy judge, and you will stand before him one day. And I'm praying you will trust him as Savior and find salvation in him and forgiveness because the Bible says he has the power to save and the power to destroy he is our judge. And Christian, may I say, he is our judge. We're going to stand before him to give account of our works. And while we're forgiven by the blood of Jesus, what we do or don't do, we're going to stand before him and, uh, and judgment because it is, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. But I want to remember this. I'm not the judge. He's the judge. In fact, if we put it in a court of law, let's note this. The Bible is saying here, he's the one lawgiver and judge. And and then it asks the question, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? So if we think of it like a court of law, that neighbor doesn't stand before me as their judge. The Lord is the judge. Well, then who am I? I am the criminal who sinned against God. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. And I can be acquitted by the blood of Jesus. I came to realize when I was young, that I was a sinner who needed a savior. And here's what I did. Instead of just depending upon upon myself or ignoring it or, or just covering it with some religious acts, I did what the Bible tells me I need to do in order to be saved. I repented of my sin. I placed my faith in Jesus who died for me and rose from the grave for me. And I gave my life to him. I asked him to save me and he did. Friend, I want that for you. And when that happened, this criminal, this sinner, was acquitted by the blood of Jesus. He paid my penalty. He paid the fine I couldn't hope to pay. He went to the cross at my place. He died instead of me dying. He took my place. And so I was acquitted of this sinful life. And so he's the judge, and I'm the acquitted criminal. <laughs> That's what I am. Forgiven, but acquitted by the blood of Jesus. Jesus. When I get that right, I remember that that guy, my neighbor down the road, I'm not his judge. I'm just a fellow criminal who found the blood of Jesus, and that's what I want for him. Or if, let's use this analogy for a moment. I was a beggar, and I found the bread of life. And now I'm a fellow beggar saying to that beggar, Hey, there's bread. The Lord Jesus has bread. He can forgive you of every sin. He can make you a, give you a life worth living. He can give you a home in heaven. He can change you from the inside out. He can save your soul. God wants that for you. And I want to remember my role and the role of the Lord in this. And I'm thankful that I can be a part of telling other people about the bread of life. That I can point to Jesus and his word. He's the one. He's not, I don't point to culture, to popular opinion, or to myself but to the Lord himself. I point to Jesus and his word. And church, we're going to love people enough to preach the whole counsel of God, to tell people the truth about what the Bible says about sin and judgment and righteousness. But we recognize that God wants us to focus on personal obedience and remember his role and our role. Now, there's a third way to live your life well, and that is to trust rather than boast. If you want the life God wants you to live the kind of life he wants you to have. You're going to have to trust rather than boast. Let's note what it means to trust God. We're going to trust God with three things. If you're a note taker, maybe you'd write these in. Trust God, first of all, trust him with the unknown future. Verse 13 says this, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You know what he's saying? He said, you don't know, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You don't, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what your life will be. He's saying, you don't know the future. I tell you, if there's anything that's true in my life, and these days I've realized how little I know about what's going to happen. I've tried to predict a little of what would take place in our society. I just don't know. I know, you know, I know the, uh, the details of where we are right now. I follow along with the news like everyone else, but I don't know. I've, found myself having difficulty predicting the future. I don't know for sure when we're going to be together. We've tried to think about every contingency and make plan after plan after plan, but we just don't know all the details about when and where and how and what. But we do know who holds the future. I'm not very good at predicting the future, but I know who holds it. So some years ago, some of you know, uh, I'm a Cardinal fan. You remember when baseball, people used to play baseball (laughs) and the gathering stadiums and such. And uh, I've always, you know, followed... Cardinal baseball all my life. Well, I had a year. I came home. I was, we went to opening day. a Friend gave us gave me some a ticket, and I went to opening day. And I came back and told Vicky. I said, you know, I just don't think the Cardinals are going to be very good this year. And they weren't most of the year. This is the year 2011. 2011, they just were up and down, and just struggled and scuffled way out of first place way into the year. And then they got hot late in the year, and they just started winning and winning and winning and winning. And the next thing you knew, they were the World Series champions. Now, I didn't predict that very well, did I? I didn't know what the future held. I'm not very good at predicting the future right now. I don't know what the future holds for my life or your life. But I know who holds the future. I know who knows the future. And one of the reasons I want to trust God is because he knows in a way that none of us can the future. And so instead of boasting about our abilities, we want to trust the Lord with the unknown future. And secondly, we want to trust the Lord with the limited time. The Bible says in verse 14, uh, you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. He's saying that's what your life is like. It's like a vapor. You know how vapor comes? Maybe um, some fog will come up, roll in in the morning, and then the sun comes out and burns it off. And it's just moments. You're like a little. Wisp of wind passing through, just a few moments. That's what life is like. He's saying, "You're not going to believe this for someone as, someone as uh, tender aged as me. I just turned, just recently, I turned sixty years old. That used to sound old. It sounds so young now. Oh my goodness, you young whippersnappers at fifty nine. <laughs> you know, my life has just gone like this. Now, people would tell me that when I was younger. They would say, "Hey, your life is just." like a vapor. I've read this verse lots of times along the way. Your life's like a vapor. And I knew that. But you know, there's something about knowing it and there's something about knowing it. And the longer you live, you realize, man, life just keeps going year after year after year. And you realize that you never get those years back. And once they're gone, they're gone. Once this day is over, this day is gone. So this day counts. And what I do with this year matters. And God is reminding me to trust him with this year. I don't know what the future holds. And I don't know how long God will keep me in this world. I'm 60. I may have lived a whole, for one third of my life already. I mean, for all I know, I mean, it's, it's hard to predict these things. I don't know how long the Lord will tarry or how long God gives me. I just know he gives me now. There's no promise about tomorrow. The promise is about now. One day in eternity, of course. But in this world, life is limited. And so God is saying, use your time well. And then he's saying, trust God with the path to follow. Verse 15 says it like this. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You know what I'm discovering more and more is what matters most is what does the Lord want? Not what's the easiest way. That's not the most important thing. Not what have we always done. Not what do I like most not what do I want. What matters most is what does the Lord want? What is his will? What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my church? What is God's will for my direction? What is God's will for my future? And as I focus on that, boy, things come into perspective so much better. When I get that right, God, I don't know what the future holds, but you hold it. So this day, I'm going to take the steps to follow you. And then tomorrow, as you give me tomorrow, I want to take the steps to follow you. And God, I don't know the way the path goes, but when you point this way, I want to follow that way. And when you point this way, I want to go that way. And Father, I want to follow your will and your purpose and your direction and your plan. And when you get that right, and God honors that and God blesses that, the most important thing is not what's easy, what's comfortable, what's traditional, what's been normal, what's been usual, what do I want? What what is it that God in heaven wants for me? God's will matters for your life. And I want you to find his will and trust him. You know, this, this passage really is talking to us about humility. It says, uh, all such boasting is evil, verse 16 says. It's talking about being humble enough to recognize that we need to trust rather than boast. Instead of pride, I can do it on my own. I don't need God. How many have said that in this world? How many? But how much better to say, God, I need you all the time, whether I see it or not, I need you. I want to depend upon you and I want to trust you and I want to follow you. And then there's a fourth principle about how to live the kind of life, how to use your life well, and that is to uh, act rather than wait. Act rather than wait. Verse 17 is a powerful verse. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. It's not just sin, not just the sins that we commit, the sins we omit here it's saying. It's talking about the danger and the tendency to be passive instead of active, to miss God's best for our lives. Sometimes just by being passive, I've just missed God's best for my life, what God wanted me to do, how He wanted me to to act, and what He wanted from my life. And if you're not careful, just by doing nothing, just by omitting, you can miss God's best for your life. Can I just say a word to you, men here? You women can listen as well. But you men, there's a tendency for us men to sometimes this applies to us to be passive rather than active in critical times. I remember reading the story of Adam and Eve so many times, and Eve takes the forbidden fruit and she eats and sins against God and then Adam sins and I've always pictured it sort of like Eve was being tempted and she gave in and sinned and then she must have you know maybe she talked Adam into it but that's not how the bible tells us it happened while Eve was being tempted and and eventually succumbing to the first to the first sin what was Adam doing was he was he far away no by her side saying nothing that that first step towards being passive and then the step towards committing sin. And ever since that, we've had a tendency, men, to be passive when we ought to be active, to be passive about the things that count, that count and matter. And God wants us to act instead of waiting. He's saying, I want you, when you know the right thing to do, you, you do it, act. You be a witness instead of just being silent. You serve instead of just watching someone else. Get involved instead of just being on the sidelines. See that God in heaven wants to use you to make a difference in this world. Don't just wait for others to serve. You serve, use your gifts and your talents and your abilities and your resources for the glory of God. And men and women, those of us who name the name of Christ, God in heaven reminds us there are things for us to do with faith. Not just to know and not just to be, but to do, it's an act of faith. As long as he gives us breath in this world, we're acting in faith and serving him and doing what he wants us to do. And that allows us with this, this life that's like a vapor to have the kind of life God wants us to have to use our life well. I want that for you. We're going to bow together in a word of prayer. If you're here listening to these words, not here physically, but you're right, right where you are. You're listening to these words. Maybe you're lost and you've never been saved. And I want to ask you today, to give your life to Christ. When we bow together, would you just repent of your sins? God, i want to turn from that. I believe you died for me and rose from the grave. Just say that to him, tell him that. And then give your life to him. Lord, I wanna surrender my whole life, everything I am to you and ask you to save me. And he'll do that. And when we pray, Christian, would you say, God, you've given me this one life in this world to live. Would, would you help me to use it well, to live it fully for your glory? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the power, for the truth, for the hope that it gives. Lord, we thank you that you teach us through it and you show us how to live the kind of life you want us to live. Help us, Father, to follow you and to live the kind of life that counts. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Hey, if you prayed to receive Christ as Savior, we'd love to hear from you. Text us, email us. If If you need some help in some spiritual matter, you let us know. We are delighted to help in any way we can. We'll help you find a life group or any of those things. I hope you'll have a great week and serve the Lord well. We appreciate you being a part of FBCO this Sunday morning. God bless you. Uh, uh, Serve him well and uh, live your life for the Lord. And you join us every, every week as we open God's word together. Thanks for being with us today.